Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and with me, I'm really honored to have Peter Sutton, who is the co-founder and CEO of Woodpecker Learning. Well, hi, Peter. Hey, hi. Great to be here. Right, and thank you so much for coming in and doing this interview. I've been wanting to meet you and hearing you talk about woodpecker learning, but we're going to get to that later, right? Okay. Yeah. So first of all, you've been in town for fifteen years, right? And you are from New Zealand. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Where exactly in New Zealand? I'm from Auckland originally. And why are you in Taiwan? Well, I was working for a bank in the securities industry. Wait, that actually is going to start you telling the story, right? Yeah, I probably that get that. That has made an impact on you. Okay, okay great. So get going on the story here. So I, I'm working for a bank in, in New Zealand, in Auckland, and I get transferred to Jakarta in Indonesia. Oh. I get transferred to Hong Kong. I join another bank, and they send me back to Jakarta. And then they transfer me to Singapore, and then they transfer me to Hong Kong. And then after three years, I spend three years everywhere. Then they transfer me to Taiwan. And that was in June 2002. 15 years ago. And I thought, well, I could spend three years everywhere, so I'll be here three years. But actually, it's 15 years and counting. Oh, why is that? Well, um, I guess I got married. I guess that's, you know, part of why I didn't leave. <laughs> and um, Taiwan is a place where you come and you kind of build up some expertise and then you learn the language and then you don't feel like leaving. Uh, and then the other thing would be that you know, if you look at the securities industry over that space of time, like from when I joined in 1983 to, to where it kind of finished up 10 years ago, that's like over 30 years. And the way that people invest money has changed. I mean, when international investors were investing, they would say, okay, we're going to invest money in Indonesia. We invest money in Taiwan. We invest money in this country and that country. We have a portfolio for that country. And we think of, you know, each investment in that country in terms of that country and it changed, you know, over that period, the world globalized. There were no longer individual country markets. It's just one global market. And people invest in what they think are global companies. So people come to Taiwan, they invest in TSMC. They invest <laughs> in Lagan, you know, they invest in Advantech. Is and, that the only one, <laughs> yeah. TSMC? And, and then, you know, so, so in, rather than thinking of Taiwan as a universe of 1,200 companies, I think of Taiwan as a universe of this number of global leading companies, which is, of course, much smaller. 20, you said? Well, About I mean, you can, we can debate that. I mean, also <laughs> they look at a few consumer stocks and so on. But basically their way of investing has changed and therefore the requirement for information at the country level changed. And, and the other thing too is that if you look at just statistics, I mean, the way the stocks move together and everything, clearly what drives these companies is global events, not the, the country events. So is and, this becoming Economics 101 right here? Yeah, sorry. Okay, <laughs> no, right, no, okay. no. I think this is what I need to learn because I didn't know about security market in Taiwan. I didn't know that that's how it's changed. But then actually it's not just Taiwan, right? It's global. It's everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. In fact, well, Taiwan, like less if, I mean, I'd say Japan is more affected by this than say Taiwan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But everywhere is impacted by it. Yeah. yeah. Well, earlier on, we were talking about TSMC. Just mm. for our listeners, you know, TSMC yeah. is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, which is the probably the biggest uh, semiconductor manufacturing company. It is now. One has, of has a market the... cap bigger than <laughs> Intel, right? <laughs> but then you can argue Samsung, if you include everything, might be bigger. But, yeah. oh. but it just for pure semiconductors, yeah, they're the biggest now. And it's interesting how you were always transferred to Asia, 
Singapore and Hong Kong and then Jakarta and then Taiwan. And so yeah, did you well, ask to, to be centered in Asia? Well, I mean, I was working for the Asian division of Barclays and oh. then I worked for Credit Lyonnais Securities Asia, which was an Asian securities company. So yeah. I see. So you stayed on. You thought yeah. it was just going to be three years, but you stayed on for 15. Was that really shocking for your parents? Go, I go back twice a year. So I was in New Zealand two weeks ago and... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the girls have, you know, got their, obviously have a strong sense of, our, our children have a strong sense of Taiwanese identity, but they also have a, a you know, a sense of New Zealand identity too. So mm. we so take them got, regularly and go back and see my mother. How many children do you have? I have two girls. Two girls. How old are they now? They're nine and seven. They're going to local schools or? They go to the European school in Taiwan. Ah, yeah. I don't know British much section. about the European school. Okay. Yeah. How does how does Taiwan compare to all these other countries that you've been, you know, for three years each, whether it's Hong Kong, Singapore, Jakarta? Right. Well, I, I, I guess what really stands about Taiwan is it's really a place where everything's focused on exports, right? Whereas Indonesia is a reverse. Indonesia is everything about the domestic market. And Hong Kong and, and uh, Singapore obviously are not manufacturing centers. Everything here is about exports and lower cost for exports and servicing foreign markets. That's that's what Taiwan's about from an economic point of view. Right. What about from the living point of view? From the living point of view, it's very different to other places. It's, it's very safe and some places are not. The quality of the air is very good compared to many <laughs> other places in Asia. I think it's not an expensive place to live, particularly with regard to housing. I mean, if you're in Hong Kong or Singapore, housing is really huge percentage of your and cost, And we complain right? about the high housing prices here. Well, but, okay, so from the foreign point of view, it's not the issue of the price, it's the issue of the rent. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's where, you know, Taiwan is very different. One of your key costs as a foreigner living in Taiwan, renting here is, is very low. I mean, not it's not very low, but it's, it's relative to yeah. anywhere else. Yeah, well, I should lower. be comforted. Because yeah. we are so secluded and we're so, you know, um, narrow-minded thinking that, oh, obviously, Taiwanese people complain about its own country, everything about its country, the rent, you know, the living expenses, the low salary mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. How to explain why the salary level has been staying the same in Taiwan? Okay, so there's, there's I think, two reasons for that. Uh, one is that, you know, you have the salary that goes to the individual, but then you have the company's cost of employment. And so the government has been increasing the total cost of unemployment. And some of that increases for the benefit of employees, but the employees don't get it as a salary. So, for instance, you know, the pension cost goes up and the national health insurance goes up and there are more holidays and, and then your, your compliance costs for human resources go up. So, so what's happening is that from the point of view of your company, you're kind of paying out more and more money for each person. But, but what they get in the bank account each week doesn't change. That's one factor. That's a very clear explanation. I got it now. That's only one thing. The, there's a bigger thing, and that is to do mm-hmm. with productivity. The thing is that the, what you can get paid in your country is a function of overall of the productivity in your country. And that as your economy develops, you have less and less manufacturing and you have more and more services, right? Oh. Within services, what happens is that the government regulates service industries to kind of maximize employment rather than maximize productivity. Oh, yeah, we're doing well, it all wrong? You've got you to gotta do what they did in Hong Kong and Singapore. And you've got to, like, rationalize these industries. And But I'm sure the government knows that. But why do, is it not doing... People lose their job, right? Yeah, that's a political problem. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. 
what is the right balance? I mean, it makes sense that, you know, the fact because people have better welfare and the government actually is paying more for each individual, but it's not getting to the pocket of the individuals. That's a separate reason from the productivity thing. But the thing is that when we pay less, obviously we're not that productive because we're always complaining about the low pay. We're not happy with our lives, well, it's not with the our amount jobs. Of, but it's not the amount of work that an individual does. It's oh. the amount of work that the industry does. So, for instance, in Taiwan, you've got like 40 banks and you've got so many branches. And, and if in aggregate that industry could have, say, 10 banks and only a third as many branches, then the people who worked in those banks would all work the same amount, but there'd be many less jobs. But overall, your productivity would be better because all of those people who didn't have a job would eventually be redeployed or, or whatever. So, oh, I get it So now. what it's about is the government's willingness to deregulate the service sector in Taiwan. But it's very political because it involves companies disappearing and it involves people losing jobs. I mean, ultimately, they get another one later. But that transition process is very difficult. Wow. I, I'm really learning a lot right here. So what do you suggest? Well, you've got to start the transition. Part. You've got to do it eventually. You might as well start now. So do you think that's what Tsai Ing-wen is doing now? Well, there are many things to be done. I mean, she's <laughs> she's been focused in other areas. No, I don't think they're doing anything with regard to industry restructuring. Okay, and we should be careful about what we're saying, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> But you're seeing a lot of good here in Taiwan as a foreigner. Besides the good air and um, what other you know reasons uh, you like in Taiwan, what else that you think is so great for a family to live in Taiwan? What about the people? Oh yeah, I mean we have many friends, and it's a very safe place to live, and and everyone is you know it's it's a polite place, you know, easy people to to deal with and and to make friends and. And, you know, one thing you notice as a foreigner is that when you live in Taiwan, you're kind of part of the Taiwanese community. But foreigners who live in other countries are just typically part of the, just part of the foreign community. How, how's that so? It's kind of much more intermingled. I mean, when I lived in oh. Indonesia, we were in the foreign community. We weren't in the Indonesian community. It's quite separate. Why is that, though? Why is I think it's because it's... Well, first of all, I think it's proportionately smaller. And secondly, I think many oh, you, people You're talking here, about the expat... The um, expat community in Taiwan. Community, okay. Yeah is bigger in Taiwan compared it's, to... It's relatively speaking smaller right. than in some of the other places. And each of those expats has got many more local connections than you would typically find in other countries. So they're often married to Taiwanese or, or yes. whatever it is. Yeah. Is it because you guys are more willing to befriend Taiwanese people or is it that Taiwanese people are just taking more initiatives to befriend foreigners and expats? You know, I don't think the foreigners who turn up here are necessarily going to be any different to foreigners who turn up in Indonesia. It's kind of hard to put it down to the foreigners. Taiwanese uh, must be much more open to... Yeah. So then, then say when I was in Hong Kong, I guess, or... Yeah, and it's just something about the nature of doing business here that you just seem much more intermingled, yeah, even though the language barrier is actually relatively larger than it would be in some other places. Mm, mm. But actually, the standard of English here is pretty good, certainly much better than mainland China. So. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to agree with you on that one, but no. anyway. <laughs> what more can you say about Taiwan itself? Well, I, I would say that it's a great place to set up a business if you're focused on the export market. How is that? Well, it's it's partly to do with costs. Now, oh. so if you if you're setting up a business here and your market's a domestic market, then you find domestic spending power is relatively low, because of course the the incomes and salaries of people here is is relatively, it, it's lower compared to people in similar industries in other countries, and that that is a that's a benefit for someone who's got an export focused business, 
But obviously, it's a major impediment for someone with a domestic focus business. But I mean, I think, you know, in our industry and in software, it's a great place to set up because you can pay above the market rate here, have employees who feel good, but still, it's much cheaper overall than if you're operating in another country. Talking about woodpecker learning. First of all, why the name? Well, uh, a number of reasons. First of all, everyone needs a name, and everyone wants something that kind of represents something about themselves. And if you're learning languages, it's kind of a touchy feely thing. You want you want to have something that's a little bit softer, something that's sympathetic. So we thought we would like to have a bird as our symbol. And then with our software, we're all about using touch screens and and it's about embedded dictionaries and you touch on a word and you get the translation in your own language. So you tap a lot. And, and woodpeckers tap a lot. You know, right. they, they tap trees and, and, our, and our users tap screens. Okay. Uh, and there are four species of woodpecker in Taiwan. So I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea that we've got woodpeckers here in Taiwan. But the thing, though, is that you went from securities into this woodpecker learning. What happened well, there? Well, I, okay, so I took some time out to go and study Chinese. And while I was studying Chinese, I was very good at reading. Because you know, when I came to Taiwan, all the documents were in English. But all of our staff were speaking very good English. So whenever I spoke to one, I spoke in English. But the documents are in Chinese and not in English. So, so I kind of had to learn characters. And, and I would learn the meaning of the character in English, not in Chinese. Because, like, someone gives me the annual report. Okay, so, you know, this is the balance sheet and those are the characters for the balance sheet. right? And I, I learned that. So my character knowledge, funnily enough, built up much better than my speaking ability. So when I went to study, I wanted to focus on speaking. But the problem was, everyone said, you've got to watch TV. But when you listen to TV, it's all too fast. Mm. And, and, and the subtitles on the screen, whenever you press pause, something obscures them. And then, of course, you need to look up the character. You can't just replay one sentence. So I wanted to create something that would enable me to speak Chinese so much better, oh. which is what we did. And I thought, well, if I needed it, other people need it. And they probably need it for languages other than Chinese. So we've created a product where we're supporting eight languages. And we'll shortly support a lot more with everyone learning, at the, mo at the most part, mostly English. But we also have a service for English speakers learning Chinese. How long ago did you start Woodpecker Learning? We would go formed back? out, we started research in May 2015. So we're kind of just on two years. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. new. Well, yeah. So the first year was research. And then we launched the company just under a year ago. And we put our first product in the store in June last year. And um, we actually did a, that was kind of a test product, sort of a proof of concept, you might say. And we did a formal launch in March. And this year? Of this year, yeah. Oh. So we've been in, we did our formal launch in March. Okay. And we've learned a lot of lessons from the downloads and the feedback from people who've used it. So we're launching a new version. It's already on iOS and it'll come out on Android next week. Well, this interview was done sometime last month, so the Android version should be out already. Now, wouldn't you wonder how many people are actually on staff at Woodpecker Learning? We'll begin by telling you that and how Woodpecker Learning works next week. For In The Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin.